5. The Biggest Lie and the Biggest Truth 3. Pledge. We will get to the bottom of this lie and truth saga, which has been the ruin of humanity for the last 3,000 years and counting. This needs to stop once and for all, and this is accomplished in what follows. Caveat. Given the complexity of this brief essay, the podcast is a text podcast, or simply ex-podcast. Additionally, some people may find the Kabbalistic, theological, philosophical, and scientific content unsettling to their beliefs, values, and interests. Listener discretion, study in group, and reading the text while listening to the podcast is indispensable. Dedication to volunteers of noble causes. Quotations from Christian Anderson, the Emperor's New Clothes. Quote, but he hasn't got anything on, a little child said. Quote, but he hasn't got anything on. The whole time crowd out, cried out at last. Daniel 2, 32, 33. Statue, head of gold, arms and chest of silver, belly and thigh of copper, legs of iron, with feet of iron and clay. Daniel 5, 25, 28. The writings on the wall, meme, meme, tekel, ufarsim, age ended, failed, and crisis as usual. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For Yotkebavre is our God, who doesn't show favor and does not accept bribe. The episodes. First episode, Lie and Truth 1. The open episode is about why the world is broken and what to do about it. Why is the world broken? The lie is that the world is broken because it's a broken world. The truth is that the world is broken because we break it. That is, we keep breaking it, fixing things because we really don't know how we know that we know what we know. Second episode, the people-ist state. We'll be going from a three to a five power state. That is, on the one hand, the government consisting of the legislative first power for laws and executive power for order. And on the other hand, the people consisting of the judicial third power for justice, the news media fourth power as watchdog, and the, and the university fifth power for administration of the budget. Additionally, one person, one vote to one person triad votes, as well as entitling children to vote by way of their legal guardians. Third episode, Bigger Lie, Bigger Truth, Part 2. The bigger lie is that the takeaway of the Bible is the golden rule. The bigger truth is that the one commandment is the universal principle of knowledge as found in Genesis 1, 1 a Aleph. It encompasses all the 613 commandments of the sages, including the Ten Commandments given to Moses at Sinai. In math, 613 commandments go to 10, go to one commandment. Fourth episode, chatting with God. All we have to do is chat with God to get the blessing of creative self-therapy of empowerment. The foundations for chatting with God are established in Genesis 1-1-A Aleph, spelled out in Deuteronomy 6, 1-9, with a sweet spot verse 6-8. Fifth episode, Biggest Lie, Biggest Truth 3, Messianism, Mysticism, and Crisis as Usual. Episodes 1-5 to five are foundational. Nobody buys intangibles. Nobody, no one buys a house because it has great foundations. Rather, what's above ground is what sells and only after marketing puts it out there. But when you decide to buy it, you want to be sure it has good foundations. So foundational X podcast one to five, later the house and the marketing. Executive summary of the fifth podcast episode. 
The Biggest Lie and the Biggest Truth, Part 3. The biggest lie is escapism of messianism, mysticism, and defeatism of crises as usual. The biggest truth is the existence of the universal principle of knowledge at Genesis 101a Aleph, which empowers us to integrate civilization and help save creation. Ample examples are provided from across the whole Bible Tanakh as proof that it is the case that there is an underlying principle of knowledge at work in the Torah. Now, with the lie, big lie, bigger lie, and biggest lie exposed, debunked, and out of the way, Israel can finally play its anointed role in history. For homework, no prior knowledge is assumed other than familiarity and interest with the quest of chatting with God for the creative self-therapy blessing of empowerment. All concepts and vocabulary required will be provided in due time. Also, since we're starting smack in the middle and not at the beginning, in order to highlight its importance in detriment to systemic creative exposition, we will have to leave the theory for homework to the listeners. The assignment is to consult my self-published books at Amazon to get a good handle on the empowering approach of paradise. These books are, quote, Paradisism, Human Size 101, published in 2018, Paradise, The Age of Unveilment of Genesis 101 Aleph in 2019, The Principle of World Caring in 2020, and Saving Creation in 2021. For ease of understanding, there are 70 or so videos on YouTube on topics from the books. Additionally, there are the other podcasts in this series on inaugurating Paradise Postmodernity of Empowerment at my website, paradiseism.org. The books are the source. The X podcasts are its divulgation. Rules of Torah Engagement. Messianism and mysticism both negate the precepts expressed in the Torah. No other prophet ever arose greater than Moses, Deuteronomy 34.10. Don't add to the text nor detract from the text of the Torah, Deuteronomy 4.2 and 13.1. Don't deviate to the right or to the left in interpretation, Deuteronomy 17.11. This matter has been amply elaborated in past episodes, so we will not delve into them beyond their mention. Regarding Messianism, all that matters is contained in the Torah. There is nothing missing in the Torah to be brought later on from the future as the oral Torah tradition of rabbinism claims. Regarding mysticism, there is nothing to read between the lines. There is no reading white on white, all is black on white, and there is nothing out of view as medieval Kabbalah claims. Regarding crisis as usual, there is no need for defeat any more than for escapism. We can overcome adversity by just paying attention and pushing aside the claims of scholarship. Torah and Oral Torah Torah and Oral Torah is fine, but what is, is not fine is Oral Torah claiming that the Torah is the written Torah. The only condition is that any tradition prove its claims by deriving them from the point origin of the Torah in Genesis 1, 1a Aleph, that is, from Aleph slash Bereshit, a slash in beginning of. You cannot qualify the Torah. It's like limiting the limitless. You can associate your view, limited opinion, with a greater whole, but staging a coup d'etat doesn't give legitimacy. It's still spurious. I learned the Torah by reading what's there, not by being told what's there. God is not tricky, nor 
is he a bully? The Torah was meant to be a cakewalk, as easy as A, B, C, and 1, 2, 3. A lesson well taught is well understood, and there is no need for outside help nor second guessing. If good teaching is clear, how much more so is the Torah teaching Bible of God? In what follows is a demonstration that God is not tricky, nor is he a bully. Deuteronomy 30, 11, 15, verse 30, 11. Surely, this one commandment which I command you today is not a wonder to you and is not distant. Comment. Three things are said are laid out in this verse. Firstly, that there is only one commandment, which is what you're commanded to perform. Secondly, it is not in the heavens but on earth. Thirdly, it is within our reach in civilization. Verse 13, 12. It is not in heaven that you should say, quote, Who among us can go up to the heaven and get it for us, and let us hear it, that we may do it? Comment. It states that it is not in the heavens, that it is on earth. This rejects messianisms outright as something coming from outside the earth, like from heaven or the future, which is the same thing. Verse 30, 13. And it is not across the sea that you should say, quote, Who among us can cross the sea and get it for us? And let us hear it, that we may do it. Comment. It reaffirms that it's on earth and within reach. Mysticism is rejected outright. Verse 13, uh, 30, 14. Rather, very close to you is the thing, in your mouth and in your heart, to do it. Comment. You cannot possibly miss it. Just stop listening to others claiming to know better. It was meant to be known directly without any need of intermediary, intermediary agents. Verse 30.15 See, I said before you this day, the life and the good, the death and the bad. Comment. Crisis as usual is rejected as necessary to the human condition. We are free to choose between on the one hand life and the good, and on the other hand death and the bad. Overall, the above verses clearly negate time escapism of messianism, space escapism of mysticism, as well as defeatism of crises as usual. Rather, it's affirming that you cannot possibly miss the one commandment. It's simply primeval common sense of paradise. That the one whole S is known to us slash as a triad of parts PRD. God is not tricky nor a bully. But we still have to do our part. <clears throat> but no one is expected what's beyond one's capacity or reach. No embodied self is expected to break the time or the space barrier. What we all need is already hardwired in us in the Torah and Genesis 1 1 a Aleph. Concealed and Revealed. After having clarified what to look for, the Torah also clarifies what not to do or look for. Deuteronomy 29. 28. Verse 29-28. Quote, Conceal things concerned Yotrevafe our God, but with revealed things are for us and for our children to eternity to apply all the words of this Torah. Comment. If the Torah, if the Torah tells us that it's easy, take God's word for it. To do paradise and to avoid spatio-temporal escapism of messianism and mysticism as well as accepting mass defeatism of crises as usual. The Torah emphasizes that revealed things are for us and for our children, with dots over all the letters of the two words, 
Perhaps the dots are there solely for emphasis to signify that it's equally understandable by adults as by children. This means that the Torah is meant to be understood by pre-K to post-PAD, post by unschooled children as well as by learned adults, and for all time, meaning in the present to eternity, intangible to apply, and all the Torah, no exceptions or special texts to keep secret. We see children learning language from mom on a daily basis. Though language is very complex for us adults, it's picked up every day by toddlers at home from their parents. So, humanity S slash as life P, intelligence D, and language R are passed on unknowingly. The gematria of three dots plus seven dots gives ten dots, which reads one zero, which reduces to one. By themselves, the adults won't make it, nor by themselves will the children make it either. We are perfectly empowered from cradle to grave to understand this thing jointly, as a family, all proportions kept. The Torah is telling us not to accept defeatism of crises as usual, that the thing is within everybody's reach, and conversely, is telling us that the concealed are only for Yotkebafre, our God, to understand. This negates any messianism from the future as well as any mysticism of the interstice spaces of language. A personal note. I recovered the Miss Gila revealed Hamidzvah Commandment 1 on account of being both an adult and child, yet neither not knowing too much nor too little, like being in the right place and right time to make a difference. I knew a unique combination of physics, philosophy, symbolism, business, as well as having grown up in the border of two most dissimilar nations. Just the right amount of success and failures to not give up and keep searching after listening to the calling of my heart. This sounds like saying that there are children and adults and non-children and non-adults, the neither nor, and, the, and then there must be adult children and non-adult non-children, the both and. In any case, I must fit somewhere in the rim of things. King Solomon's Wisdom Let's now include from the human side of things what our wisest person had to say on the matter. The wisest man who to ever live was undoubtedly King Solomon, the son of King David, king of Israel, Judea back then. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 to 2 and 12, 13. Verse 1, 1. The words of Kohelet, son of David, king of Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. Comment. King Solomon was the wisest person of all time, and he was king in Jerusalem. Verse 1-2. Utter futility, said Kohelet. Utter futility. All is futile. Comment. All is futile. Unqualif unqualifying. Lee. So, all is futile. Verse 12-13. The sum of the matter, when all is said and done, all with God, and observe his commandments, for this applies to all mankind or humankind. Comment. If all is futile, that leaves nothing account unaccounted for. This can only mean that he's talking about the point origin, not the cone, which is utterly futile. That is, wherever God is, slash, observe his commandments, but not the cone field as just mentioned, but the origin, which must then mean observe the one commandment PRD, chat with God. Did the Torah Bible actually happen? Two questions. Did the Torah actually happen? And what does Revelation mean? 
What does be constructed or made up mean? Only the Torah is revealed. All else is made up. Revelation means revealed by God to Moses. Everything else is man-made. Man-made is made up, but it must still make common sense. The Torah happened holistically, not triadically. That is, it happened S slash PRD and not as S slash in the heaven and P comma R comma D separately on earth. If it didn't happen triadically, then there is no way of understanding it holistically. With an enlightenment thinking of the age of reason, we'll never figure it out. It requires creativity of the age of empowerment by paradise. This would be the next task on the timeline. The answer to the question, did the Bible Torah actually happen, is of course it happened. Holistically, yes, and triadically, PRD in mass space-time, but not separately in mass P, space R, and time D. We play the part of the forward slash, joining the holistic to the triadic into a narrative S slash PRD. Allow me to explain. Deism in the archaic period in Israel was knowledge, what today survives as religion. Humanism in Greek antiquity was knowledge, what today survives as philosophy. Mathematism in modernity is knowledge, what today we call science and technology. But deism, humanism, and today's mathematism, they're all knowledge, first and foremost. And overarching them all will be the universal principle of knowledge as paradise. Succinctly, paradise S slash deism D, humanism R, mathematism P. We will understand things better in the measure that we are creatives ourselves. If it's revelation, it can only happen holistically S slash triadically PRD. You cannot have revelation S happening non-triadically, a separate P, comma, R, comma, D. This is what has been going on in this regard. Only the Torah is revelation S. All else of the Tanakh Bible is P, comma, R, comma, D. The so-called Torah, oral Torah, is inspirational D, the prophets are enlightened R, and their writings are erudition P. We bind these two S slash and P R D into a narrative as paradise. That's it. Let's not confuse the narrative slash with the holistic S in the triadic PRD. The Torah and Paradise. The Torah is much more than religion. Within the paradise approach, we have Torah S slash religion D. Philosophy R, Science P. The thesis of Messianism of the Oral Torah tradition is the Torah Bible as teaching of Moses is incomplete, that the missing master key is to be added later on by a chosen one coming from the future or from the past. The thesis of mysticism is, the Torah, is that the Torah teaching is written in undecipherable code except by a selected few. These two are false escape dichotomies to the present world of crises as usual. The real choice to escapism from left and right and defeat, defeatism of center is the paradise approach presented. The tree of knowledge and paradise. It is important to say a few words about the universal principle of knowledge of paradise and the tree of knowledge of good and bad mentioned in the creation story of the book of Genesis. They are not the same thing, though it may seem otherwise. I will abbreviate for clarity. Genesis 2.9, verse 2.9, quote, And caused Yotrebavre God from the ground to grow every tree that was pleasing to the sight and good for food, with the tree of life in the middle of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of 
good and bad. Comment. The ground is source and a triad of trees are mentioned, namely ground S slash pleasing fruit trees P, the tree of life D, and the tree of knowledge of good and bad R. It clearly mentions the tree of knowledge of good and bad, not tree of knowledge of truth and falsehood. The tree of knowledge of good and bad refers to consciousness, what we consider morality. On the other hand, the principle of knowledge of empowerment is that we were made creatives of the creator and then created creatures of creation. I'll abbreviate for clarity. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Verse 126, quote, And God said, Let us make humankind in our image after our likeness. Comment. We'll have more to say about this later on. For the moment, suffice to say that we were made in God's image, the inside, after his likeness, the outside. This is guaranteed insofar as we partook in the making of humanity. As it explicitly says, let us make humankind. Verse 127, quote, And God created humankind in the divine image. In the image of God created it. Comment. We were given intelligence, much like a spark out of the infinite light source. That is, knowledge of truth and falsehood, or epistemology. Now, let's go back to the tree of knowledge of good and bad, once having established human beings as intelligent. Genesis 2, 15 to 16, verse 215, quote, And commanded Yotheba God, the human, saying, quote, Of every tree of the garden you may surely eat, comment, that the fruit of the garden is for human sustenance. Verse 216, quote, But from the tree of knowledge of good and bad you must not eat of it, comment, this knowledge of good and bad is ethics. The question now is how all these relate to each other, so as to have them clear on our minds. Within the paradise understanding of things, it is as follows. Being S slash truth D, good R, beauty P. Metaphysics S slash epistemology D, ethics R, aesthetics P. The tree of knowledge of good and evil refers to ethics R or good R. This is normally understood as free will. The principle of knowledge of paradise is the whole above scheme of S slash PRD. Humans have intelligence, S, as distinct from animals which have instinct, D, or plants, which have impulse, R, and minerals, which have order. Tanakh and Paradise Though I usually refrain from citing secondary sources, there is room for exceptions with the corresponding caveat. This is justified insofar as it clarifies a point in the above argument, but so long as they are derived from the Torah, that is, that the universal principle of knowledge permeates all the Tanakh Bible, both Nevi'im prophets and Ketuvim writings. Let's take a look at Job 28-27 as background to Job 42-5. Job 28-27, verse 28-27, quote, Then he saw it and recorded it, he called it and also perfected it. Comment, that is, Then he saw P, it, and recorded it R. He called D, it, and also perfected S, it. Verse 42, 5. Quote, And I heard you with my ears, but now I see you with my eye. Comment, Clear mention is made of seeing you with a nay, my eye, in the singular S, in the singular S, uh, uh, while hearing with us and ears, PRD, is in the plural. 
Here, here represents the census PRD, while my eye represents oneness with the creator as S slash. The Totafoid reminders fall between the eyes to be seen by the one eye of synthesis PRD and transcendence S slash. The third eye is also known as the inner eye. The second example showcasing the use of paradise throughout the Tanakh Bible is taken from the prophets from prophets with Isaiah 6 3. Verse 6 3. And one would call to the other, quote, Holy, 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 Yotheb of He of hosts fills all the earth, his presence. Comment. And one would call, one angel would call to the other, quote, Holy D, holy R, holy P, Yotheb of He of hosts, S slash, fills all the earth, his presence. It expresses paradise. The prophet Isaiah knew it intuitively in his inner or third eye. That is, it was chatted to him as drippings between his eyes in line with Deuteronomy 6, 8. Messianism as Oral Torah The origins of Messianism hypothesis. Our pretension is to delve deep enough to dispel the Messianism conjecture as the lifeline to humanity deep enough to point in the direction that the Torah is the lifeline to empower us to do our job on earth. If we can derive messianism from paradise, then it's okay. If not derivable, then it's just made up or man-made. Messianism bifurcates the oneness of the Torah into a duality of written Torah and oral Torah. Messianism is the result of lacking the universal principle of knowledge of paradise for integrating civilization. The Talmud is great in its own right, but turns into something else when it passes its oral Torah. Messianism, messianism is perfectly sealed, impossible to test and refute. Hope is waiting past the finite. Enslavement, domination. Today, the choice is between leaving it to the coming of messianism, or else, what can we do to make our world whole? But we were meant to be holy, as He is holy. There is no basis for a standby role in the Torah. So it's a yes and a no too. We're creatures, so it's a yes. But we're also creative, so it's a no. This passive role is assigned in the Nevi'im prophets and the Ketubin writings and elsewhere thereafter in the tradition in tertiary sources. Sage S slash Deify D, Charisma R, Cult P. Oral Torah S, Messiah D, Cult R, Sageism P. Mysticism as Sageism. Sageism is rabbinism. On the right, on the right hand, messianism. On the right hand, messianism. I cannot help but notice a tendency toward the cult of the personality, sh just short of quasi-divine characters, sages of blessed memory, just like when mentioning the Holy One, blessed be He, and Moses Rabbeinu, peace be unto Him. That's the downside take of things of the Oral Torah. Cult to sages is just one step away from deification as charismatic leadership. This is in stark violation of the second commandment of the Decalogue of not having other gods or make idols before Yotre On the left hand, mysticism. Mysticism predates the Sefer Hasohar, the Book of Radiance. In oral Torah tradition, there is a long tradition of secrecy of sagism. There, there is what is called building fences around the Torah. While it is good to keep things protected, Fences also can bring about a sense of property. The origin of the word Zohar radiance comes from Daniel 12, 13, 12, 3, uh, 3, 
Verse 12, 3. And the knowledgeable will be radiant like the radiant Sohar of the firmament, and those who lead the many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. Comment. Sagisms come from Hokmah wisdom. 99% right, 1% wrong. In general, religious and secular both kept and undid humanity because it's 99% right and 1% wrong. They got all the trees and missed the one forest altogether. Credit and blame are flip sides of the same coin. Religious practices and academic studies keep separate deism as slash humanism PRD. Only being creative slash can we join them and stop keeping them separate. The one commandment is to be creative slash between creator S and creation PRD. The main difference between 99% right medieval Kabbalah and 1% right primeval Kabbalah is the teaching 101 of paradise. It's all in the math. 613 goes to 10 goes to 1. Numbers speak louder than words. Newton was on it with his mathematical principles of physical philosophy <clears throat> that there's an underlying numerical skeleton to literal substance, so to speak. Gematria, in other words. Messianism and mysticism. Moses freed the Bnei Israel, children of Israel, from bondage in Egypt in the sense that God frees us from idolatry of all sorts of superstitions. Superstitions. Just as it was done in archaic times, so today from esoteric philosophism R, scientific technologism P, and messianic religionism D. What differentiates Mosaic Torah from the occult sciences, including medieval Kabbalah and its table of corresponding equivalents, is the universal principle of knowledge. This is the paradise application to integrate civilization and give a helping hand in saving creation. Without it, be it oral Torah tradition or any other equivalent one, it falls irremediably back into messianism and mysticism. Case in point is the sorcerer Balaam in the Balak story in Numbers 22 to 24 chapters. We have already been freed by Yotrebafre through making us creatives of the Creator and then creating us as creatures of creation. Messianism is a backstepping, flagrant denial of the Torah. We choose to be creatives, realize our potential, or else to be destructive in denying our powers. The only friendly compromise I can come up with is if by messianism as coming of anointment is meant opening a live line with God in chatting. Then it's okay, but it's always been there, so it isn't coming, just recovered. It sounds like reinventing the rolling stone calling it wheel. And the same goes with mysticism. The only friendly compromise I can imagine is if by secrecy is meant nothing other than paradise as the occult is manifesting as triad PRD. Then we are the same mind and can jointly face up to crisis as usual in our midst. The ultraviolet and the infrared polarization. It seems to be the norm today for things to polarize. Right-wing ultraviolet of messianism and left-wing infrared of mysticism. We seem to be missing the point of infinity. The simplest is the universal from the infrared messianism of the oral, oral Torah tradition and from ultra-left mysticism of the Sohar. Both infrared and ultraviolet messianism and mysticism are beyond human view, res uh, respectively. 
Messianism is beyond time, and mysticism is beyond space, hiding things in the interstices of words and letters against a blank page. And the visible spectrum is crisis as usual. M&M and crisis as usual. Is M&M of messianism and mysticism the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and bad of the Garden of Eden? M&M on the outside is crisis as usual on the inside. The tree of knowledge, the tree of life, would then be paradise. The Nahash snake is mysticism, and the forbidden fruit is messianism. The tree of knowledge of good and bad, of dualism, it was off limits because it would be misunderstood. The tree of knowledge would be Greece. Tree of life would be Israel, but with point origin in Genesis 1-1 Aleph. Let's do it right this second time around. There may not be a third chance. I mentioned it in passing, though it is beyond the scope of this essay and certainly of my pay grade. The writing on the wall. There is a generic interpretation underlying the specifics of the content. The following is the standard interpretation of Daniel 5, 24-28. Historically correct as the reply of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, to, or you know, the, the sage Daniel to King Belshazzar of Babylon. But there is more to it than meets the eye. The writing on the wall in, in uh, Aramaic, Mene, Mene, Tekel, U, Farsim, is so cryptic that it lends itself to various interpretations, for then and for now as well, as we'll shortly have occasion to view. I take to mean Peshat, Remes, Derash, slash, Sot. The repetition of Mem, Peshat, as Mem, Mem, can be interpreted as what underlies it is Remes. That's why the Peshat is count and the remnant is finished as ending the counting and moving on. The Tekel would conclude us as the Rosh fault, meaning weight on the scales and found at fault. But this is the process. It's unfolding as triad. The next step is its unitary source, its oneness or wholeness. The U, the U just means and, same which we signify as separating the process from unity with the forward slash. The next word of Farsim reminds me of Elohim, gods, in Genesis 1.1. Here it doesn't mean the plural of gods or powers, but rather a god which is the universal of gods or powers, as the master of the powers. The god of gods, the same applies here. Farsim is crisis as broken of brokenness. Crisis one or crisis as usual. This is so because it is beyond reason. Much like the concept of forest, which includes all the trees, but is not another tree itself. More in alignment with our theme of paradise as PSS slash PRD, but inverted as PRD slash S, it would now take the shape of, quote, age, ended, fault, and crises, respectively. But let's quote directly from the text to confirm what has just been said. Daniel 5, 24-28. Verse 524, quote, He therefore made the hand appear and caused the writing to be inscribed, unquote. Comment, supernatural phenomena are at play here to convey a message to the king. Verse 525, quote, And this is the writing that is inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, U, Farsim. Comment, the message is in code. This requires Daniel, the codebreaker interpreter of dreams, to appear in the scene. Verse 526, quote, And this is his meaning, Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. 
Comment. Mene can mean numbered as verb or mina, a bit of money as noun. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Daniel interprets the writings on the wall. The first word mene means count. It appears twice for emphasis as mene mene, meaning that the number of days given have been counted for and have come to an end. The first mene p and the second mene r. Verse 527. Quote, Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Comment. Tekel can mean weight as verb or shekel as noun. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting at fault. This word tekel means that the king that the king is accountable and found lacking. The third word is tekel d. Verse 528. Farsim. Your kingdom has been divided and given to Medes and to the Medes and the Persians. Comment. You means and. Farsim, the plural of Feris, can mean divided or half mina or a half shekel. Your kingdom is divided and multiplied. Farsim in Hebrew has permanently broken or crisis as usual. It would, it would read in a greater sense. Crisis S slash count P finished R fault D. It is the negation of paradise. Crisis brought about by keeping things separate or else keeping them monolithically. It is a valid generalization to anyone acting as king in his own sphere of influence and living a carefree life. The writing on the wall is for all of us to heed. At the end of the day, we're accountable for what we've done with our lives. This is the message to us from Daniel. Uncountable Consequences the consequences of our argument are left to the reader-listener to make them for themselves. Our argument is at the level of the core, at the Torah, not at the Tanakh. Whole Bible inclusive of secondary sources, prophets and writings, much less of tertiary sources of the Talmud and others. And that's just referring to the Jewish tradition. This doesn't touch the Gospels of Christianity, much less other Abrahamic, Abrahamic religions like the Quran of Islam. Without a doubt, this is above my pay grade. But one thing must be said. It's not a question of believing this or that and that there is nothing more to be said about it. After all, beliefs form part of a triad as well, not surprisingly. Who we are, S slash, is made up of beliefs, D, values, or interests, P. So there is, no way, there is no easy way out of the mess we're in or that we got ourselves in courtesy of our religious authorities throughout the ages. It's like getting rid of an asbestos ship when no one wants it f even free. Any way you look at it, it comes with a price tag and it isn't a bargain. The above refers to the Torah and the messianism conjecture of the oral Torah tradition. Consequences taking it to later days is beyond the scope of this essay and is the subject of a different conversation. Our argument is solely that messianism is made up, man-made, in the oral Torah tradition that there is nothing in the Torah to support such a claim. Nothing beyond that is intended herein. The biggest lie refers that messianism is included in the Torah. This is the argument by extension of the oral Torah tradition that at Revelation two Torahs were given, one in written form, the written Torah, and the other in oral form, the oral Torah. That is, that pretty much anything that the sages can make up is derived from the Torah, hence it is legitimate. Their claim is that there is no fence between the oral, between the Torah and the oral Torah. The biggest truth is that what is revealed from the Torah, the one and only is paradise. 
This is the extent of our argument. Anything, be anything beyond that will be a separate topic for another conversation. It is not of interest here within our focus of attention, which is inaugurating the age of empowerment and leaving behind the age of reason, of enlightened reason. Principle as beginning. Principle is beginning. This is necessarily one since the beginning only begins once. But then, how can it move on, continue, if it has no parts to move? Can't, can, still, can still be one? So what is it afterwards? So Aleph A is ox head one, the creator as God. We are somehow Beth B, house two, the creatives as house of God. What comes next is Gimel C as camel, three as movement. But where to? Next comes Dalet D as door for the field outside. So God is one. Then try it as we're movable house of God in the field. That is one S slash house D movable R field P. The lifeline. The point of focus is the lifeline. Our reason of being. How to be holy as he is holy. Leviticus 28, uh, 21, 8. How to be one with the one. How to approach this theme. Now that we know that the biggest truth debunks the biggest lie, we can restart and get it right this time around. Please view the next X podcast. The truth is the, time, is the timeline to empower us to institute civilization in the world. The biggest lie is that the lifeline is messianism and mysticism to save us from crisis as usual. The biggest truth is that the lifeline is the universal principle of knowledge in the Torah, revelation of the Torah itself. Torah means teaching of empowerment. Of what else? It certainly wasn't meant to teach us to wait around till outside help arrives or till we decipher what wasn't coded to begin with, other than in common sense of paradise. Precisely when that's, when that's the very reason for the revelation of the Torah to humanity. But it has to be studied and understood correctly. Bad instruction is worse than no instruction at all. The Torah makes no mention of any messianism or mysticism, nor to embrace crises as usual. The key is finding the tip of the guiding thread. While it may be true that we won't know anything for sure until we know everything, still, surely there's something we can do in the meantime better than sitting on our hands. Going back to the paradise cue. There's the whole S uh, slash triad PRD. Let's apply it to our point of interest. There seem to be three things, sort of a triad, which are entangled into a, into a whole. One is life P. We can pass it on swiftly, though not knowing what it consists of. Same applies, applies with language R. We can all learn from our parents, the mother tongue, and can further learn other languages. But we're oblivious as to what language is. Creativity D seems to be the third element which we pass on. It li likewise goes under various other names like intelligence. Whatever it is, it is qualitatively different, though quantitatively similar to that shared with the animal and vegetable and mineral kingdoms in descending degrees. Let's call ourselves the Adam S slash in order to keep things tidy. The guiding thread seems to be the above triad PRD thread and the tip would then be the above whole S. Let's focus on this whole made and triad created. Part of the problem we're having today is that we're trying to explain the whole through the lens of parts, 
Only with the three aspects together as triad can we access being at one with the one of God, with the oneness of God. Language R seems to be between creativity D and life P. The creativity seems to connect with the mate Bethsalem, whereas the life connects with the created Demut. This I would express as Elohim S slash Hashamayim D, Etz R, Aretz P, where Et stands for language. Language is between creative and created. With this in mind, let's now translate and get the interpretation right this time around. The instruction book for empowerment is the Torah. But how do we start reading it? It goes back to how do we learn to speak. We learn our mother tongue from our mother, who learned it from hers and so on. Same with life. It's passed on with love. Same with creativity. It's passed on somehow. All these are infinite series going back to no one knows how far, to a point origin, to leave it at that. The question is how do we acquire the wholeness of it all? By the Torah. But how do we read it? There has to be a tip of the guiding thread. This is plain common sense. In code, it's simply tip s slash guiding thread prd. This is the right door to the reading of the Torah. The right door to the labyrinth if you prefer. There's the beginning prd, there's the source of the beginning s, and there's the us binding it together slash. Nothing less will do. This is the ripple, the cornerstone of the social edifice. Anything more will only serve to complicate things. Shaddai suffice. Anything beyond this only gets in the way. So it's said in the IT business, if you want to lose something, bury it in information. But uh, what what if you don't believe in God? You can, st can you still chat with God? My guess is that he can chat with you all the same. As for you, it doesn't matter what you call it. It is still messages coming in on the third eye like in regular chatting on the internet for service. It could very well be a robot, and probably is, but the chatting goes ahead just fine. Made Betzelem Adam and created the Mut Et HaAdam. We have both aspects as Betzelem creative of the Creator and as Demut creature of creation, being enslaved creatures of creation instead of empowered creatives of the Creator. The S slash PRD as Betzelem slash the mood with we creatives at the slash joining the creator with creation. We'll only quote the relevant part of the respective verses. Genesis 126, verse 126, quote, And Elohim said, quote, Let us make Adam in our image after our likeness. Comment, in Betzelem image we were made and in the mood likeness we were created. The creative and the creature aspect, the S slash and the PRD, to make up paradise. In the following, we'll leave out the it dialogue with for convenience. Verse 126, quote, And God created language with Adam in his image. In the image of God created it. Comment. He made Adam, Betzelem Adam, S in its image. He created the mood, it Adam, PRD in its likeness. Why? Why is created mentioned thrice in Genesis 1.27? My guess is that the first mention is meant to connect with the previous fact of let's make Adam, Bethsalem, in our image, just to dispel doubts with the text, the next created, Et HaAdam, the mood, after his likeness. The making employs Adam as someone, whereas the creating employs him or it 
as no one special as et ha adam, language with the adam. Manipulation. Oral Torah is deviating infrared as messianism and sagism is deviating ultraviolet left as mysticism. Crisis as usual is zero in the middle. You cannot add, you cannot just add a Torah, oral Torah and make up messianism nor subtract paradise by canceling it. Deuteronomy 4.2.13.1 Nor pretend as, as in mysticism that you're not doing it at all. All the while, you're deviating right or left surreptitiously by prophets or writings or others. Deuteronomy 34.10 Keeping religion deep, the oral Torah of Messianism separate from philosophy or science P is what's avoiding the triad PRD and hence the possibility of whole S occurring. Slash. This is the backstory of the Messianism conjecture. Once established religion does Teshuvah, all things will fall into place, including religion D as part of the triad PRD. The age of empowerment of paradise can only happen once we let go of the age of reason of dualism, of enlightened reason of dualism. Letting go of what is precious to us is not easy, as we'll see, as we'll see soon enough. Attachment is tough to let go. From offerings to prayer. In the Torah, mention is made throughout of sacrifices or offerings to God. God is mentioned as our God. There seem to be a variety of offerings, burn, grain, peace, guilt, and sin. These are in the books of Leviticus and elsewhere. This topic is, be, is mentioned in order to adequately frame the discussion. The biggest lie of Messianism, mysticism, and crisis as usual underlies all else. The biggest truth is that the lifeline of paradise is easy as pie. The problem is that missing the tip of the guiding thread of knowledge, you're left in the dark. Any doing is just opinion, chaos of hit and miss, stumbling and getting up just to break things in an effort to fix things. This includes prayer. There is nothing wrong with prayer per se. It is with institutional prayer as it exists in practice. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. Prayer is seen as praying to God. Is the quote to God that's the problem? Similar to meditation, nothing wrong with meditation per se, but it again doesn't exist in a cultural vacuum. Normally, it's practiced as meditating quote on God. On the other hand, chatting is quote with God. Yotevavre, our God, is a personal God, not something or someone to study on a petri dish or to put under a microscope or whatever. The essential difference consists of this: while Quote, praying to and quote, meditating on God carries implicitly a distancing. This is not the case with quote, chatting with God, which carries with it a cut-off nearness. Though care must be taken not to take it to mean talking with God, this will be different. And while it can and certainly does happen, it is not up to us to initiate it. It's rather God's prerogative to call on us to have a conversation with Him. After all is said and done, prayer is fine if understood as chatting with God, or alternatively, as preparation for being in the right state of mind, showing reverence, of course. The problem is that Messianism uses it as a scape tool to the infrared of the spectrum be beyond the reach of time. This goes entirely against the grain as mentioned in Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 14 that the one and, o and only commandment is as easy access at our fingertips and in our mouths and hearts. I quote to refresh our memory. 
Quote, surely this one commandment which I enjoin you this day is not too baffling. No, the thing is very close to you in your mouth and in your heart to observe it. Prayer is one of those good things used for a bad purpose. Praying for Messianism to come from the distant future. All that we do is pray for the coming of Messianism. Approaching God through praying to God. Praying as petitioning like a subject to a king requesting favors. There are many fine prayers, among them Damida, the 13 attributes of mercy, and many more, too numerous to mention. Allow me to say a few words regarding the origins of prayer. <clears throat> Tefillah is the Hebrew word for prayer. The word itself contains a range of meanings. The Hebrew root, Pelel, connotes reckoning, referring to, quote, executing judgment, as in Exodus 21-22, or as, quote, thinking, in Genesis 48-11. In this sense, the word Tefillah, would also refer to a process of accounting or contemplation as pilel. In general, prayer is synonymous to think, entreat, supplicate, or plea. Origin of prayer. In any case, it went from sacrifice to God to prayer, pray to God. Sacrifice was a way of approaching God as cut-off, closeness, or nearness. Animal sacrifice as worship was a distinctive feature of archaic times in the fertile crescent civilizations. As for prayer, it appeared in the book of Genesis as follows according to tradition. The context is assumed. I'll simply focus on the key verses. Abraham's Shaharit morning prayer, Genesis 19.27, as arising to the place. Genesis, uh, I mean, verse uh, 19.27, quote, Arose early Abraham in the morning to the place where he stood there in dialogue with in dialogue with before Yotrevafri. Comment. The word et language with is key to understanding the passage. It says that Abraham stood there as before to chat with God. It's not prayer as a one way affair, but rather a to and fro within chatting or speaking to God. Then Isaac Mincha, afternoon prayer, Genesis 24 63, as chat in the field. Uh, Genesis uh, 20, verse 24 63. Quote, and went Isaac to chat in the field toward evening, and looking up and saw, and there were camels approaching. <clears throat> Comment. Here with Isaac, the word used is literally le suach, to chat. It is not clear whether it came from checking on his servants or chatting with God, but it does not say uh, anything about praying to anyone or to God. Lastly, Jacob Ma'ariv, evening prayer, Genesis 21:11. He encountered the place and stopped there. Uh, verse 28:11. quote, He encountered the place and stopped there for the night because the sun had set. He took from the stones of the place, placed them around his head, and laid down in that place. Comment. This is a complex verse consisting of various sections. We start off with the ordinary translation. The first section states that he encountered the place. This is clearly saying that there is something there since it mentions encountered and not just arrived there. Then it says that he spent the night there because the sun had set. Next, that he took some stones and placed them around his head. Finally, it says that he lay down in the place. In the next verse, it mentions the dream he had, but that it is about dreaming and not about chatting or praying. So, we return to the first part of, quote, he encountered the place, unquote. It's a section of interest. Doing research, we find that the word vayivga, encountered, actually additionally means to meet, to cause to entreat. This is more in line with chatting with God and treating Him about the present situation He was in. Also, quote, and stopped there for the night. 
What did he do there before going to sleep? Is the question. The key word is Vajalen, stop <clears throat> doing research. We find that it can mean both to lodge and to complain. We discount lodging because of the word encounter previous. This leads to grumble, to murmur, or to complain. Complaining to God as praying to God is hardly admissible. This leaves as the only possible interpretation for what Jacob was, was did was to chat with God, to share his concerns. So then, in all the three cases, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob chatted, quote, with God. In no case did they pray, quote, to God as such. Prayer is rabbinical, not biblical. The Torah clearly states at Deuteronomy 4.2.13.1 not to add or take away, nor lean towards benefiting yourself or lean away in detriment to others, Deuteronomy 34.10, because it is so easy to twist things to fit a preconceived narrative. By not biblical, because it doesn't say anything about tefillah, prayer to God, anywhere in the Torah. That is, the word tefillah, prayer, doesn't appear anywhere in the Torah. From now on is the morning, afternoon, and evening chats with God. Prayer's first appearance. Prayer first appears within Rebbenism in the Tanakh Bible, starting with the prophet 1 Samuel 1.11. There Hannah prays to God for a child in the presence of Eli, the Kohen Gadol high priest. 1 Samuel 1.11, verse 1.11, quote, And she, in her bitterness of soul, she prayed to Yodhebavre, weeping all the while. Comment. Here, for the first time, the word tefillah is used to signify to pray, as to intercede. That is, in the Torah of Moses, prayer to God doesn't appear. Rather, is chatting with God. However, in the prophets of Rabbinism, it first appears. The Torah is the teaching of God. All else is adhered to it. Only the Torah is revealed as slash. All, the, all else is either inspired as the prophets D or enlightened as the writings are, or else rationalized as the Talmud P and later worse as well. Only the Torah is revelational teaching. Things would improve if we chatted with God instead of praying to God or meditating on God. We are integral parts of God of his own making as Bethlehem creatives of the Creator before we were somehow created as the mood creatures of creation. But then again, for that to happen, we would first conditionally have to take charge of things. Below, follow Deuteronomy 6, 8, quote, Bind the sign unto your hand. And then I'll reply between your eyes. This means ask as grown-ups in a conversation and he will respond accordingly. Talk to God as if to a first among peers. No disrespect meant. As junior partners, as apprentices in training, is, quote, with the one of which we're part of, not to, quote, as an alien or on as a thing. That is the question. Rather, the answer in question format. The answer begs the question. What does it mean to take charge of things? We weren't meant to pray for a lifetime. We, were, we are the lifeline to help save creation by integrating civilization. In contemporary coding, we are the creative creatures since revelation by the giving of the Torah teaching instructions of empowerment. We are the Messiah, Mashiach, the Mosaic. <clears throat> the Savior of the world is humanity itself. There's one universal principle, just like there's one, only one Yotrebavre God. Deuteronomy 10.7, verse 10.7, For Yotrebavre is your Elohim. He is Elohim of Elohims, and Adonai of Adonais, the mighty, the great, and the awesome, who shows no favor and takes no bribe. Comment. If there's a God among gods, 
there's humans over all kingdom, then by added measure, there is the universal principle over all particular principles. All proportion kept, we're like God, keychain that is. There's only one of us as unique as creative creature of creation by the Creator. Praise, bless, and worship. Is there mention of tefillah prayer in the entire Torah? None whatsoever. Should any more need be said in this regard? Tefillah is the Hebrew word for prayer. There's Baruch, blessing, but this is quite confusing since it's we who need blessings, not God from God, not God from us. As for Hallel praise, it doesn't appear in the Torah either. It starts appearing with the onset of reminiscence with the prophets Nevi'im and their writings Ketuvim. What does appear in the Torah is to worship God. It appears in the Decalogue and translates as a Buddha work. Exodus 21-3, verse 21, quote, God spoke all these words, saying, comment, This states to take heed to what's to come. First in line is prime in importance. Verse 22, I, quote, I, Yotrebavre, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. Comment, this is the first commandment of the Decalogue, freeing Israel from the house of bondage. Bondage or servitude as worshiping in any form or shape. It goes to the top of the list. Verse 23. Quote, You shall have no other gods beside me. Comment. This means that Israel is not to work for or worship any god but Yotrebavre Elohim. From this we understand that worship is, uh, is work, be it material P or spiritual D or mental R. Just to make it clear, just to make it clear, clear this point is emphasized immediately afterwards in verse 5. Uh, verse 25. Quote, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am your God, I am an impassioned God. Comment. This restates the point that bowing down, D, is the same as working, P, as serving R. From our own experience at the workplace, we know that we are part of a network. Orders are received, executed, and accounted given to them. There is a two-way street of communication. This networking is nothing other than chatting online or in any of various forms, be they in conference, in talk, in conversation, or dialogue. In dialogue, it's all about having one. It's about one having language with the other. From this is the only conclusion. From this, the only con the only conclusion is that worship uh, slash work in the Torah translates as chatting slash work in the world today. Yes, from the employer with the employee, but it's a quote, with, between humans, is not an, quote, on, like programming the work on the computer, nor, quote, to, like to the machine or to the pet. Arc of the testimony as chat booth. In following, we'll say a few words more to impress on the listener the primacy of chatting with God in the Holy of Holies. Exodus the 25, 8-9. to Verse 25, 8, quote, And make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell amongst them. Comment. It says, make me, not let them make me a sanctuary. That it's in order to fulfill the personal purpose between him and every one of us. For that purpose, is, it says that he may dwell amongst us. Due to context, it's sanctuary. Verse 25, 9, quote, Exactly as I show you that the sign of the tabernacle in the design of all his vessels, so shall you make it. Comment. It, due, due to context, it's the tabernacle. The question that immediately comes to mind is, what for? To dwell amongst them. For what purpose? To chat. Recall in Numbers 7, 
889, that Moses would communicate with God in the tent of meetings at the Ark of the Testimony. Let's quote from there. Numbers 789, verse 789. Quote, When Moses entered into the house of meeting to speak with him, he would hear the voice speaking to him from above the cover that was on top of the Ark of the Testimony from between the two cherubim, the angels, and spoke to him. Comment. This clearly states that God would chat with Moses from between the cherubim. This between says that between Moses' eyes, the chat would occur on the third or inner eye. This is reinforced in Exodus 25, 21, 22, with more or less the same wording, but additionally with slight wording and context in Exodus 4, 1942. Exodus 14, 1942, verse 1942, quote, A regular burnt offering throughout the generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before yod heh for I will meet with you there to speak to you there. Comment. Explicitly, it reinforces to meet with Moses at the tent of meeting as previously mentioned. Crying out and thought as chat. Another case where chatting is clearly visible is in Exodus 14.15 and many other verses as well. Exodus 14.15, verse 14.15, quote, Then Yotkevafre said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites and go forward. Comment. This clearly states that Moses would chat with God. In this case, desperately requesting instructions to resolve an emergency situation. Another situation where chatting is exemplified occurs in Genesis 8, 2021. Verse 8:20. Quote, then Noah built an altar to Yodhevavre, and taking a very pure animal and a very pure bird, he offered burnt offerings on the altar. Comment again, the altar, which is the chat booth. Uh, smelled Yodhevavre the pleasing aroma, and Yodhevavre said in his heart, I will not continue to curse again the ground because of humankind, since the concocting of the human heart are evil from youth, nor will I continue again the destroy every living being as I have done, unquote. Comment. Here it states that Yotre is in his heart. This can only mean that God was permanently chatting with humankind, even by way of his thoughts, that the chat line was open, be it in his thought or in spoken language. This is similar to the so-called life mic, where a person speaks its thoughts unknowingly that is life. Not that God wasn't aware of what was happening, but rather that the chat channel remained open in any modality 24-7. Empowerment of the heart. The empowerment of the heart is spelled out in three steps. Love is defined in Deuteronomy 6.5. The heart is its receptacle in Deuteronomy 6.6. And what to do thereafter in Deuteronomy 6.7. Deuteronomy 6.5-7. Verse 6.5. Ve'ahavta, and you shall love. Quote, and you shall love s language with slash your God with all your heart d and with all your soul r and with all your might p comment love is defined in paradise terms to confirm things and leave no room for doubt verse six six vehayu and it shall be quote and it will be s slash these things p which I charge r you this day to your heart d comment. It's an, quote, if-then relation between verses 6-5 and 6-6. The, quote, if part corresponding to us of Vehavta and you shall love PRD, and the, quote, then part corresponding to God of Vehayu, and it shall be S slash. As I said, it's whole 6-6-S slash triad 6-5 PRD. 
This is stating that the staging of paradise is in place. If we've made merits, it will happen. If we just chat, decide to chat with God, He will be there to chat with us. Verse 6, 7, Veshinantam, and impress upon them, quote, and you shall impress them upon your children. The them refers to the, to the message. And you shall speak of them when you rest at your home and while you walk on the way, when you lie down and when you arise. Comment. It's first defined, then put in place, then spread the word. Blast off. Anyone who sees it gets it right away. Yet nobody can describe it. What is it? The strange enchantment of love. Yet doesn't keep me from trying. Love is slash enchantment PRD. Time D, space R, mass P, and the loss of motion. Conclusion. Blessings and curses leads to the best of all possible worlds, worlds according to the Odyssey. Not that we understand it. There's the Joseph story of bad things happening to for a good reason. Joseph enslavement to save the Bene Israel, children of Israel from famine in Genesis 44, 5. But there's also the Solomon story of good things happening for a bad reason. King Solomon's 600 wives and 300 concubines and wealth and horses and whatnot all lead after his passing to the division of his kingdom into Judea and Israel. We're paying dearly for holding on to the big, bigger, and biggest lie. Our faith is of our own doing. It is due to escapism of messianism and mysticism and to defeatism of crisis as usual. Futile happiness is the meme version that we witness on social media. The secular and religious leaders of all stripes and colors got it 99% right, got all the trees all right, but missed the 1% forest altogether. How else can one account for a world being just as broken before revelation as after revelation, when the whole point of the Torah revelation was to teach us civilization? Well, now that the lie and truth has been finally established, the question is, what comes next? The end. Thank you.